Welcome to the Fashion Your Passion podcast, your one-stop shop to finding your passion and living it out right now. I'm your host, Sammy Beatrice, a college student and passion coach committed to helping you, whether you're in school or working a nine to five, find your passion that you can do every single day and help you love your life a little bit more because of it. On this podcast, you will hear from successful guests as well as solo episodes from your host, all about tips on how to find your passion and how to implement it into your life, even when you feel like you don't have enough time to. Let's get to it. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the podcast. This week, I have Benson Fox, who is a transformation coach and crisis counselor. And we're going to chat about a bunch of different things like balance and just joy in our lives and how we can achieve it. So Benson, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, for sure. So can you just give my listeners a little bit more about who you are, what you do, and just dive in a little bit about the journey to get to this point? Sure. So my name is Benson Fox. I am currently a second year school psychology doctoral student at Adelphi University. Basically means I'm becoming a psychologist. I'm in the process. A few more years to go. And the past three years, I've been a transformation coach privately got certified by an ICF accredited program, which means I'm fancy. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> I also did some crisis counseling work for the crisis text line for Regesh, a few different organizations. I did a lot of this type of work, like ABA Para for OHEL, for Yelad Vialda, different organizations. I've been in this space for a while, youth director for a bunch of years. And what I do full-time is really between school is I do transformation coaching more specific to men, and I help them achieve higher levels of balance, harmony, and joy in their lives. I love that so much. I think it's honestly just so needed right now. So how did you get into this space? Like, Was there a moment where you're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I didn't know about this, and I want to get into it and help others? Like, What was sort of your experience with that? Sure. Yeah, it was definitely my own journey, my own healing process, my own goals and aspirations. And me learning from my own things. And then eventually, when you come out the other side, obviously, you're always on the journey. But when you pass a certain threshold or standard aspect of it, then you're able to then give that over to others. It's like when you get out of the storm, you start becoming a bit more like a meteorologist. Even if where you are, it's not perfect weather, you could then see others who are still a little bit lost in that storm and help guide them through it because you've been in there yourself. So I think that's true for myself. Yeah. And I 100% agree because that's sort of where I'm at. I started this podcast as a way to really help others because I just wanted to give back in the way that others helped me when I was sort of going through, I guess, my lowest of lows, if you would say. But I really want to know, I'm Jewish as well. So I'm kind of curious. Obviously, you and I are sort of in different sects of Judaism, but I want to know, like, how is pursuing a psychology degree of sorts been in your community and just in general? I'm just curious just because obviously there are those stereotypes out there of like Orthodox Jews and stuff like that. So I just want to know a little bit more about what urged you to sort of pursue this. Got it. Actually, my field is actually being flooded with religious Jews as therapists, more on the master's level education. So again, I'm super fancy. So I went for a doctoral degree. But there are many, many Orthodox Jews that are currently going for social work, mental health counseling, 
basically what that means is two years of schooling post undergrad versus it being four to five years post undergrad. So it's basically double and it's usually much harder to get into it and much harder to the work itself is generally going to be harder and more intense inside a doctoral program than a master's. This is the standards. In terms of from the religious perspective, I didn't know that you're Jewish. Would you mind me asking what group would you identify with? Yeah, so I really identify with the Reform Judaism, but I personally am more of like a conservative Jew. Got it. Got it. Okay. That's okay to, for me to ask that. So anyway, so I'm Orthodox Jew. So in my circles, it's completely acceptable. It is more unusual, I would say, to go for a doctoral degree, but there are plenty of them. There are plenty of them. I actually asked one of my rabbis, Rabbi Eitan Feiner, which one I should go to. And he actually told me, he encouraged me to go for a doctorate. He said, whatever you're going to do, become the master at it, be the best at it. So he actually pushed me in this direction to, to take it all the way. So it's very accepted, even approved of. It's respected to get a secular degree. It's interesting for me, though, because for me, I actually spent many years post-high school studying Talmud and other religious studies full-time for many years. And it's only the past, really, three and a half years that I started on the track of, I first finished my undergrad for a bachelor in psychology. It took me two years to finish it. And I went straight into my doctorate program. So I've only been doing really, in terms of education, secular education, really for fully post-high school for really about three and a half years at this point. Gotcha. Yeah. Times are changing. So obviously there's a lot more things that are sort of accepted and stuff like that. But I was just generally curious just for myself. So thank you for answering that. I appreciate it. I want to dive into something more, I guess, enjoyable for my listeners and talk about joy and talk about balance. I did an episode a while ago. There's a solo episode all about balance and how I personally don't believe in like the work-life balance situation. I believe more in like you have a balance when you're trying to focus in on one thing and try to achieve that goal. And then they're just running sort of on their own. But I want to know your perspective on balance and how do you teach your clients how to achieve balance in their life? Sure. Sure. Firstly, I think that was a little interesting. You said fully zone in on one part of an experience and then to like fully embrace that. And then to go on to another thing and then balance will come. You don't need to kind of like make all the boundaries. It's interesting. My perspective on it, when I tell my clients is that every part of a person is a good and useful part in the right dose and context. You'll find in much of self-help and contemporary, even literature, let alone therapists, coaches, it's all many, many people take on this approach of like symptomology, basically focusing on Firstly, on the problems, that's a whole nother discussion. But aside from that, they're focusing in on, they're labeling things as problems that I don't think are problems. So let me give you an example. Your friend comes to you and say, oh, I'm feeling anxious. It'll be like, oh, what can we do to calm you down and make you feel good? To me, that's why. Why would you want to do that? Because I see an emotion as a communication. So it's kind of like, you know, when you say don't shoot the messenger. So the anxiety is going over to you and you you should like shoot him between the eyes because he's coming and telling you that there's a threat and you need to be careful about it. Shame is telling you that you've violated a boundary. Anger is telling you that there's something that's not fair that's being done to you and that needs to be fixed. So every part, every part. So fear is a potential threat. And I think our sense of pleasure, pleasure is a communication as well. Pleasure is a communication that you're doing something good over here. 
sugar, calories, we need energy. That's good. Thank you for giving us energy for it. So it's like reward, reward you for that. So everything we feel and experience is going to be, our emotions are going to be communications. And you'll see that there's this thing in self-help and even mental health culture where it's like, be your fearless today. Why would you want to be fearless? <laughs> I mean, unless you want to die because fear is what keeps you alive. Again, so all these emotions, you'll hear phrases like anger is the poison when you drink it, it hurts you more than hurts the other person. No, you should feel angry when something's bad's done to you so that you'll know that something bad is happening to you and that you could fix it. If you don't experience the anger, then you'll just allow yourself to be made a second class citizen or have some type of dynamic where your needs are being unmet or violated by someone else. So I guess when I teach balance, the first thing I teach is that, there, let me say, this is like a key takeaway for your audience to hear. There is no need and it is counterproductive or even destructive for you to leave any part of you behind in order for you to move forward, to build this big, bright future for yourself and move on and create this, you know, all the phrases that they love to say, there's no need to let go of any part of you. And I like to say, it's no need to let go. There's a need to let in. That the reason why those parts of you are creating are a problem for you, firstly, it could be because of the messaging of society and others. It could be the burdens that they've placed on you of their own unprocessed emotions. And most importantly, I think the goal is to just try to keep it in sync with yourself. So your emotions, you could trust them. People say an emotional decision, which is like, cuckoo, your emotions are cuckoo. Listen to the logic. Oh, he's smart. Listen to your lo- yeah. He knows what he's doing. That logic part, or she, you know, that, that logic part of your brain that that knows what it's talking about. So again, all these phraseologies, it's shaming. It creates this, which shaming is okay, also too, in the right dose and context. So I guess my main point is that there's no need to leave any part of you behind. Every part of you is good and useful. Also, it's impossible to leave any part of you behind. You could just fool yourself and repress it and deny it, but it's going to be there and it'll keep knocking. Don't shoot the messenger, receive the message because the message is important for you to hear. And by the way, this is guided partly, partially from a religious perspective. And I believe that God made us this way to every part of us is designed by God. It's like, you know, it's like made in China, made by God. So I have that in the back of my neck here, made by God. (laughs) And every part of us that he created, every emotion, every thought, every single thing will have a purpose. And we have our sense of agency to choose the right dose and context, to try in the attempt to integrate all the dichotomous parts, all the parts of us that are competing, have competing priorities, and we find a way to fuse them together to meet as many of the needs in the best way possible. I love that explanation. You dropped so many good golden nuggets there. I love that. My boss, like she always instills in me, she's like, there's a reason you're going through this pain. Like you're not doing it just because it's just there. There's a reason behind the madness. And it's like, it's just so true because there's just so many times where I've experienced things like afterwards, like I just had like a light bulb moment or I had a moment where like everything just sort of fell into place. It happened for a reason. It happened because it was supposed to be there. And I love the idea of feelings as communications, because when you look at it that way, you're like, oh yeah, like I actually don't want to lock it out or suppress it because it's like, if your friend was talking to you, like you wouldn't want just like lock out or suppress them, you know, you'd want to listen to them and hear what they had to say. And so feelings and emotions are the same exact way. Listen to them and allow them to talk. And I saw, I love that description. And I think that it provides a lot of healing. 
when you sort of finally bring up anything that you've just bottled up inside of you, it allows you to release it afterwards. I'm so fascinated by the way you described that because I've never heard that before. Did you come up with that by your own experience or was it more by like what you've learned so far in your education? So first thing, I love how you brought up pain because I forgot to mention that one. So let me just quickly throw it in. I'll get to your question in a minute. Pain is, that's the hardest one. That's the part of us that we're like, we don't want you. Like pain, it's like, oh, you're feeling in pain. Oh, I'm so sorry you're feeling in pain. Pain, this is the way I would break it down. That pain is the motivation and energy that is infused with another emotion, meaning that emotional pain will never exist in a vacuum. If you're feeling pain, it's never just pain. Pain is the energy and motivation. It's kind of like the muscle behind the messenger. The muscle behind the messenger is the pain. When do we need a motivation and energy? A negative emotion. And the negative emotion is something that will be demanding change from us. And change takes a lot of energy to do change because our bodies naturally resist changing our homeostasis, our default. And the reason for that is, again, it's very good because are we surviving now? We have all the resources we need. Good. Keep it. <laughs> don't touch it. Right? Ain't broke. Don't fix it. So that's what homeostasis is. So when we have pain, pain will be paired always. Pain will never exist alone. It will always be paired with a negative emotion, provide kind of the muscle. That's like a more colloquial way to say it, but I would say more precisely the energy and motivation for you to kind of listen to what the negative emotion is saying. So anyway, I forgot your question now. Sorry. No, you're all good. No worries. That was so good. I love that. I want to know, like, did you learn that through your education or did you learn that through your personal experience? I would say it's through my own healing process. I'll go back to that again. But also, it is from my education. I go to Delphi University and their more psychodynamically oriented program. Basically, they try to get to the root. They go much deeper in a person's psychology and try to get to the core of what is driving a person to do things. Usually, it's going to be some type of trauma, which we define as something that's like a unprocessed energy and emotions and they get frozen in place and then they accumulate and because of an inability or unwillingness to process them at that time. So yes, it is guided from my school's approach. They do offer me the other approach, behavioral and cognitive, which is more like your thoughts, feelings, your actions, you know, creating schedules, creating things you can monitor, that type of approach, more like problem solving. But I personally identify more strongly with this other approach, which tries to get to the core, tries to process things, tries to work through and create, I would say, a deeper healing. And then primarily through processing things that are unprocessed, resolving conflicts, and basically delving into the unconscious, which basically, according to current scientific consensus, is unlimited memory, by the way. Not like Verizon unlimited, like completely, <laughs> completely unlimited memory. So we have so much things stored there that, again, I would label them as parts of myself, parts of myself that need to come to the surface and get a seat at the table. And I like to give my clients the image of a CEO. You are the CEO. And behind the scenes, the CEO is listening a billion parts of yourself. And they're all competing and they're advocating for a specific need of yours. And the goal of the CEO he needs to hear and listen and respect every part of him of what he's saying. The younger parts of yourself, the older parts, the negative emotions, the positive emotions, anger and shame, gratitude and joy. They need to listen to what all of them are saying and then come and integrate them together as a good leader would. 
make them all feel heard and respected and taking their under, even if you're not listening to their direct advice, to take their underlying priorities and integrating them into your decision. Not necessarily this exact decision, but at least some future decision. Yeah, I love that. That's beautiful. I want to touch on trauma a little bit more. It's something I think that people are like, oh, you need to have some catastrophic event happen to you in order to have trauma. But what I've learned over my education and experience is that that's not true. There are so many little things that you could sort of be, quote unquote, traumatized by. So I want to know your perspective on that. I want to really know how people can begin to heal from littler traumas of sorts. Yeah, we call it my professor, Dr. Chase. I don't think she was the first one, but she's the one I heard it from. She called it big T trauma and little T trauma. But I think it's important to realize that trauma is not even a big experience or a series of little experiences. It's really neither of those. It's really the meaning that we gave something and the parts of us that it activated and infused with energy. And if we were able to process them, so that's the key word here. If we were unwilling or unable to process it, either because it was too painful, too overwhelming, too complicated, etc., there can be many reasons why we chose not to or we're un- unable to. And then those parts of us get stuck. So trauma is not like this like gushing, bloody like wound that we have on our neck, whatever it is. It's not like cancer. It's not, again, these terminologies are, let's say, mental health and mental illness. I don't like these terms. You're not sick. What you have is an imbalance. You have an imbalance of parts of yourself that are dominant, usually because they need to be dominant. That's usually the reason. If you get bullied for many years, yes, you should have the part of you that's very anxious to be dominant because it's going to make sure that you don't get beat up or it's going to do its best to protect you from getting beat up and potentially get killed. So yes, you should feel anxious more often, even a little bit after you stop getting bullied because you could get bullied again. So usually when the part of us is dominant and we have our defenses up, the first thing you think of defenses is knock down the defenses. (laughs) Wait a second. Maybe there's a reason why they're up there. Maybe it's useful to you. Maybe it's not only in the past that it was useful. Maybe it's still useful now. Maybe not to the same degree. And again, this is all part of establishing balance is that people have in their minds a sense of already what is considered to be a, a balance. And maybe that's not what balance is. Maybe balance is being not depressed at all. Maybe depression serves a purpose. Maybe you're in so much pain now where you need an anesthetic. You go to a dentist, you need numbing. And maybe that's what depression is giving to you. So before we start treating your depression and getting rid of it, Maybe let's first understand what the pain behind it is. And not pain isn't necessarily the problem. The problem is that the pain is overwhelming. So again, balance for us, it's a very confusing term, I think, because many of us already come in with a preconceived notion of what it is, that you have mental illness and you're sick and you need to heal and you need to become healthy. What what was sick about you? The fact that you're depressed, that you're sick now? Or maybe that was good. You're in pain. And we need to understand the pain and integrate and process the pain. So again, what balance will look like, so helping someone with their sense of balance may not be what's in their best interest. I love that. And I think that explanation just answered so many questions in my own brain because I've just been experiencing a lot more, just not being as motivated as I would be in general life. And I've just been sort of like battling with all these different things. And I'm always constantly asking myself this question of how do I fix this pain, right? But I think the biggest thing that I've learned from this conversation is I just got to sit with it and evaluate why it's here for, and then begin to 
release it in a sense. That explanation was powerful, to say the least, truly. I'm actually not a proponent of releasing your emotions. I think releasing is part of that ideology where you got to listen to what he says and then you got to show him out the door. It's like, there's the door. You got to leave now. I heard what you said, friend, but now you got to go. No, he's a friend and he'll stay around for as long as he's needed. And then when he's not needed, you don't need to release him. You need to listen to your, you need to hang out with your other friends too. He's not so clingy. The only time that your emotions will get too clingy and want to stick around is when you're not listening to him. You're not respecting them. And you're like, okay, there's the door. You're trying to already like push them out before they've been fully heard and respected. So for me, the goal, I say nasri. I say notice, accept, sit with it, respect, integrate. So notice means just, okay, it's there. There's a negative emotion. Accept it. I notice it's there and now it's real. <laughs> it's true. It's there. And then sit with it means just, as you said, to listen, evaluate. What are you doing here? Okay, thank you. Respect means, okay, I hear what you're saying and I see its usefulness. Respect means seeing the good in it, seeing how it helps me in my life. And then integrate means is the final stage. And people like to skip to this phase. And if you don't, if you skip the process, you don't get the right result and the result won't meet the needs of your emotions. And integrate means taking all the different parts of you and then coming to formulating a decision or creating a sense of prioritization perspective from it. So notice it, accept that it's true, sit with it means to listen, evaluate, respect, seeing the good and usefulness and what it is telling you. And then to finally integrate it, again, it's not about letting it go. If the goal isn't to eventually release it, the goal is to really let it into you and then it'll fuse together with all the other parts of you and that creates a harmony that they're all fused together. Because again, releasing has the implication also that it's going to be gone now. It's going to still be there. I believe that we're all born with all of our parts. And when a person, when we have this type of quote unquote traumatic experience, what it does is it takes that part of us and infuses it with energy and purpose. So once it's infused energy and purpose, you should listen to what that energy and purpose and the message it's telling you and respect. And it will go and fuse together with all the other parts when it's ready meaning when it feels heard and respected and what it's telling you, its purpose has been achieved and it'll go back to deactivated mode. It'll always be there. I love that explanation and that acronym is just beautiful. What are some of your top practices in order to go about that acronym and sort of be able to move through all those pieces? Well, that is how I do it. It's through mastery. That's my primary way of doing so. I would say this, though, that usually people who are not familiar, accustomed to being in tune with their emotions, they first need to go through the, I call it phase one, phase two, NAS and then RE. So NAS is the first step. It's just don't look to do, 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 do. Like that's our thing. Make a list and the goals and accomplish and step one, step two, step three. First thing is to just notice your emotions and just let them talk. Don't intervene. Don't come to decisions because of it. Learn to just be the observer of your thoughts and emotions. It's just notice what's happening. Oh, that's interesting. Without judgment, without saying it's good or bad, without intervening, without doing something because of what they're saying, just first thing is just to notice, accept, and sit with it. I find that that's the first phase. And then once a person gets accustomed to that, then I will say this, that I think people are more afraid of their positive parts than their negative parts. I'll tell you where I'm coming from. I'm coming from that. I think anything that we can notice in someone else, I know this is overwhelming, but <laughs> I've had to get it all in. Anything we can notice in someone else, 
and understand in someone else is something that not only do we have the potential for that, it's something that's an already an existing part of us. And that can be a scary thought because that means that evil person that like the worst bully from the worst abuser or bully from your past or whatever, someone else's past that you knew, that if you could notice that and understand it, that means there's a part of you that's like that as well. And that's scary. That's like, no, I'm never, he's bad, 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 bad. And I'm never like that. Um, there's no part of me that's like that. And obviously the strong reaction to that usually indicates that it's probably truth to it. And your resistance, your defenses are being activated, meaning it's defending something. And it's defending that part of you because that part of you, you want to keep buried and repressed because you knew how much damage it caused when that manifestation of that in this person was unleashed on you or someone that you loved. But I find that's really scary. But I find that people are more scared of seeing that when they see such an act of pure goodness, of such purity and generosity, and it can be religious, it can be not, but you see something like that and you're like, that's for him. That's for him or her. That's not me. That's, and I find realizing the, the incredible and priceless goodness that we have inside of us, it's very hard for us to see that. And it's scary for us to have someone tell us not only that all our bad, quote unquote, bad parts, we don't have any bad words, our negative parts, meaning the parts of us that are calling for change versus the parts of us that are calling for homeostasis. Let me break it down like that. I mean, positive is homeostasis, negative is for change. They're all there and they're all already, not just a potential for us to become that, already an existing part of us is already advocating for that. So I think that people's defenses come up. And of course, the way I approach defenses is beat up, beat up, beat up. No, I'm just kidding. We don't look to overcome, overwhelm, get around, trick our defenses. We're not looking to do that. We're looking to listen. Our defenses are going to be parts of us. And if they're defending us from something, it's probably because it was worth defending. And it's something that if it gets unleashed or comes to the surface, usually overwhelm us in some way, cause some sort of problem, hurt our functionality in the short term. So the approach to our defenses, the way I would do it is incrementally over time, slowly but surely, listen to your defenses and like say, okay, can you feel safe? We go one little step further. Okay, now? Okay, so we won't do that today. Okay, oh, today, one little step. Okay, how does that feel? That feels good? Okay, maybe now go to the next step. And basically showing the defenses, the respect they deserve, but also because they're advocating for a cause that is good. So it's in your best interest to listen to your defenses while, obviously, while integrating that and balancing that, this is the balance, with there is a need for a certain level of change in your life and you're looking to increase your quality of life in a certain way. So protection is important as is change is important and development is important. So it's all this balance of trying to, again, something along the lines of incrementally over time, having the defenses experience the safety of the change. And be willing to just say at times, okay, I'm not going to go into that. I'll respect my defenses and listening to what they're saying. At the same time, trying to push a little bit further, a little bit further over time, and eventually creating that development and change that we need in our lives. I love that. I love that so much. This conversation has been so, so powerful. And I thank you so much for it. I want to roll into the final question that I ask every single guest who has ever been on. And based off of the title of the podcast, which is Fashion Your Passion, what is one tip that you would give those who are dreaming based off of how you have fashioned your passion? I would say first thing is recognize that passion is either going to come from pain or love. 
And it's really important for us to understand where our passion's coming from. And sometimes passion could be, there could be short-term passion and long-term passion. Sometimes we could fashion our entire lives around something that we're trying to fix in ourselves. And that's okay. Fix, again, is the wrong word. It's the process in ourselves. And that's okay. But just become aware of that and realize that I like to say there's two types of dreams. There's a dream where we're coming to process something in ourselves, and there's a dream of self-actualization. And I think what people are looking for when they say the word passion is really self-actualization. And the thing that can propel our self-actualization could be sourced, and I believe it's true, is that the energy source for those things will be our pain or love. So first thing I would say before of how to achieve it is first becoming in touch with what it is. Are you looking to do this because this is the best way for you to impact the world based on your unique strengths and abilities? Or is this something that you're looking to process in yourself and you're, the way you're going about it, you're using kind of like the world as your therapy room. Again, I don't mean that in a shaming way or in a way that even means that it's not a good thing. I think we all do that anyway. I think being in touch with that can then help us reveal if it is only coming to process something in ourselves, perhaps there's also something separate from that that would be more reflective of our self-actualization. Or it could be that is, that is what it would look like. And again, I'm defining self-actualization as the most efficient way and the most impactful way we could utilize our abilities in this world. I love that. That was a powerful way to end this conversation. Again, thank you so much for coming on. I truly, truly appreciate it. And for everyone who is listening, thank you so much for listening. Be sure to subscribe and review. And let me know what you guys learned from this episode. And I'll talk to you guys next week. Thank you. Thank you so much for tuning in once again to the Fashion Your Passion podcast. I hope you learned something from this episode. And if you did, don't forget to screenshot you listening to this episode, post on your Instagram story, and tag me at Fashion Your Passion podcast. I love hearing what you learned. As well, do not forget to scroll down and leave a rating and review. I love to read those too and know what you guys are thinking about the podcast. Be sure to tell all of your friends about this podcast because I want to spread this to as many teens as possible. Thank you so much for listening and I'll talk to you guys next week.